2: What's up, Zinger Nation? Welcome back to Moon or Bust, your home for all things crypto at Benzinga. My name is Logan. I am joined by a special guest who will be revealed soon. But the question of the day, is crypto ready for a comeback? We will get into that and more. Hang tight and don't forget to hit the like button. Alrighty, as you will see ryan looks a little bit different today in fact it's not ryan at all it is intern yanni yanni welcome to moon or bust your first time on benzinga live how you feeling
3: i'm excited i'm really excited hey there, everybody my name is intern yanni i like that i think i might stick get with the that mic a first. little bit closer i might stick with that for a bit longer there right? we go but yeah i'm excited to be here heck yes yeah. so, so you're crypto into crypto comeback? crypto comeback crypto
2: comeback i th- I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll but right see. now, let's we'll let's get some background on Intern Yanni. You are into crypto. You're into NFTs. Uh, what interested you in Benzinga? Why did you want to work
3: here? Uh, I joined Benzinga, honestly, because of your coverage on NFTs. I absolutely oh, love no. Chris Catchy and his show over on that end. If you guys haven't checked it out. The Roadmap. The check roadmap. it out. Go for Best it. Best NFT show on YouTube. Honest to God, like I out. did a lot of like my old school research back there. Right, But once I figured out what I was kind of getting myself into NFT-wise, kind of found who I actually needed to talk to in the communities a little bit more intimately. But definitely the roadmap. Check it out. Good start.
2: I think everybody out there in the chat knows about the roadmap. If you don't, make sure you check it out. But uh, while you're doing that, drop a comment down below. Let us know what you think about crypto. Is crypto going to make a comeback anytime soon? Are you trading anything in particular? Um, I am not trading much right now, Yanni. Have you made any
3: moves? uh i've been buying ethereum here and there a little bit each week but in relation to anything big buys uh it's a little too risky to really go all in at once so i'm just gonna kind of keep going see what my weekly budgets are and allocate that way
2: speaking of big buys uh over the weekend there was a massive massive volume spike on binance Uh, Binance introduced some new guidelines regarding their trading fees and incentives. If you trade a certain amount, uh, you would lower your fees. This might be one of the reasons why there's this huge volume spike. uh, But overall, I think it's a very bullish sign. It sent the price of Bitcoin over twenty two thousand five hundred just briefly. But it has bounced back to around twenty thousand. We are looking at that level as
3: a psychological support. um, But Yanni, I don't know. Did you see this news? Uh, yeah, I was looking into it because over the week over the past few weekends, I was just thinking for my own personal trading what brokerage would be best in relation to fees, and I think it definitely does have a huge role in the amount of volume that was being traded, and the more you're able to kind of onboard people onto your platform, the more you're gonna get the more volume you're gonna receive right So it kind of makes sense that it kind of blew up for a second there and then kind of going back down to where we kind of, where we've been seeing it, where we kind of expect it to continue. but yeah, it's kind of interesting. So uh, speaking of
2: trading platforms and trading fees, Uh, I definitely did not need to go. Okay, let's go back. Speaking of trading platforms and trading fees, the sponsor of Moon or Bust and the Roadmap, all the crypto shows here at Benzinga is FTX US. Link is down in the description below. If you don't have a a trading account or your trading account doesn't give you access to the tokens and coins that you want, make sure you check out FTX US if you are US-based. This is what the boys Steph Curry and Tom Brady use. So, I mean, what more could you ask for, really? uh yanni do you use ftx at all have you ever used ftx before
3: uh yeah no i definitely have and as a user myself i think it's a very easygoing platform very very uh user interface friendly so if you've never used it and you're probably stuck on other other uh brokerages definitely check it out it's worth the accessibility i would say Mm -hmm.
2: thank you for that yanni all right let's bring it back circle back What are the news topics exciting you
3: in crypto and NFTs this week? Oh, God. It seems as though, at least recently, a lot of things have slowed down. But because it is a build in a bear market, you've seen a lot of new projects. You've seen a lot of projects that have been around building out specifically marketplaces. I think especially with NFTs, that's kind of like the shift that they're going. Um, In relation to crypto as a whole, I haven't really been up to date entirely with the crypto part of of Web3, but NFTs, if you have any questions, specific ones, I got you.
2: Sure, so what are your favorite NFT projects
3: and why? Oh boy, oh boy, Logan Ross. Thank you for asking me that one. I will say Psychedelics Anonymous has gotta be a very under the radar undervalued project, I would say. And why do you say that? What's, What's
2: a fair value for Psychedelics Anonymous, the NFT project? First
3: of all, what is it? Psychedelics Anonymous is an NFT project focused on mental health. And they're dropping their Psy token relatively soon in the next few weeks, I would say. And the whole value and utility behind that is to be able to utilize their health, their mental health app, which I know in Web3, especially NFTs, it's kind of a big push that we've been seeing is a lot of these projects kind of focusing in on mental health aspects. But a big issue that I see is they might donate to uh, an organization that focuses on that rather than they themselves building something out. So with Psychedelics Anonymous, they're really trying to be the Web3 mental health platform for everybody to use in relation to affordability and accessibility. So we'll see we'll see how the execution goes but i have absolutely no doubt in the team to to really follow through on what they say so far no
2: doubt not a single doubt in your mind honest to god
3: i'm very bullish on the project so why are you so convicted i'm i've been i've been a part of the project since day one so i may have holder biasy i will admit that but at the same time you see a lot of these projects say but not really do much In relation to what has been executed so far with the furtherment of the project in relation to dropping extra collections on top of the main one to be able to provide this kind of gamified feeling for a holder to go on to the next steps of the project. So for example, season one of Psychedelics Anonymous just finished up, and they are releasing their sister project, Izu, coming out in four to six-ish weeks, which if you were a holder and you were kind of a part of the experience of Psychedelics Anonymous, you had a chance to win whitelists. It depends on what type of holder you are in relation to what part of the gamified aspects you had in relation to burning certain components of extra collections, claiming certain extra NFTs as well, uh, you got free whitelist for that. So I'm excited for that one to come out.
2: There's a lot of projects I see out there that do that where, you know, the utility is, hey, you get to buy our stuff again, right? But there is, there has been some real utility. We were in New York City together for NFT NYC. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know you spent a lot of time at their house, at their event they had going on all week. So maybe you could speak to some of like the real utilities you've seen from this project.
3: So in relation to the in real life events and the utility in that way, a lot of the NFT events that we had gone to, it seemed more so of a party rather than really being able to network and connect with fellow holders of the project that you're in and that's something that i see nft and web3 kind of preach is like oh we're a family we're a community and i think with the psych house in in uh, new york you really could feel that you could go up to anybody there and just strike up a conversation whether or not you like them maybe you did. Yeah like genuinely though it didn't really matter who you were what your background was it was very accepting so and it was a diverse an group of people yeah it definitely was and everybody's been saying web3 NFTs are the great equalizer but when you're behind a NFT pfp on twitter it's kind of hard to really experience that and feel that but when you're but when i was there i saw all sorts of people But yeah, all sorts of people. All sorts of people, like you. Just the diversity of it, especially age. Age was a big one. It's like I saw like some sixty-five year old. Really? Yeah, sixty-five. How many year people olds. were there total uh, at the Psych House? I would probably say there was a good two, fifty, three hundred. Wow. Yeah. So
2: what does that tell you? You know, for sentiment in a
3: bear market sentiment bear market people are really a part of this and they're here to stick it through the bull the the bear run and waiting for the moon you know and especially because a lot of the people that i did speak with at the psych house they weren't necessarily there for nft nyc they really came out of state just for the psych house Mm. and to see that conviction for this project it really it really gives me a lot of hope for the future of web3 because it's not just the Psych House, it's not just Psychedelics Anonymous community that feels that way. I think it's the entirety of Web3, and I'm sure you understand that as well.
2: Yes, very inspiring, Yanni. Thank so you very much. What got you into Web3 to begin with?
3: Um, it was actually one of our co-workers, Aiden Pearson. He kind of told me a little bit of NFTs all the way back in October, which... He onboarded me onto when Ethereum was pushing that forty five hundred. So, <laughs> you know, it happens. It happens. But at the same time, I have absolutely no regrets in my trading history. No regrets in what not I've learned. Not a single regret. No, not at all. Because like, yeah, you know, I've made I've made bad plays. I'll admit that. But do I regret them? No. What about learning lessons? What are some of the biggest learning lessons from getting into crypto at forty five hundred dollar ETH? have money put in that you are okay with losing like that I will always have to say is the biggest truth and no matter what investment you're making but especially especially with crypto just based on the volatility of it yeah
2: Yeah. don't play with money that you cannot afford to lose uh that has been a a great lesson of this previous market cycle but I want to hear what you guys took away from the market cycle what are your Biggest learning lessons. Do you regret any crypto or NFT trades? Drop them in the chat right below that like button. Uh, and Yanni, I got this picture here. I just want to show it off. Oh, such a, oh, such a great photo. Oh, look at us. Back from our time in, in the NFT boys. NYC. Uh, back when Ryan was uh, not doing class. I don't know what he's doing right now, but today he is unavailable. Um, MIA. <laughs> so did you have a, did you have any trading experience before you got into Web three
3: very little, honestly. Very, very little. In relation to crypto, none up until that October, November. Um, beforehand, I had a couple stocks here and there that I held. Uh, back in college, I actually had a trading class in which I was able to analyze a few stocks that I was interested in buying as a long term investment. Which, if I'm correct, I think that would have been back in October that I. That I recommended we buy John Deere, which back then I think it was trading at 34, 340, I believe, 340, 360 ish. I still think it's a good buy, but not financial advice.
2: (laughs) Great point. None of this here is financial advice. So other than other than psychedelics anonymous what projects do you hold if any uh what projects do you have on your radar or are you in like a saving mode right now
3: oh saving hold 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 in relation to getting into any projects yeah you know i wouldn't mind investing into a board eight but that's definitely out of my limit at the moment what about yourself how have your uh nfts been going
2: Um, you know, most of my NFTs follow the markets like luckily I had a a few good projects that have held up more than uh, a lot of the rest of the market. But the one that's actually picking up the most right now is the Ethereum name service. This is one of my favorite projects. Been talking about it forever. Um, and there have been some ridiculously large sales lately, especially now that Ether is so cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one that I'm going to continue to try to add. I'm going to try to find new new terms, new .eth names to register um, because they're getting some huge sales, especially on the numeric ones, which I think is interesting, like 000.eth. There's three <laughs> numbers. It's sold for like a million dollars. Over yeah. the weekend. Craziness, craziness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea behind this is that you can create subdomains on top of that. So you could issue out, you know, yanni.000.eth. Uh, this is what Coinbase is going to do. They've already announced this. Uh, and so once more people have ENS, which all Coinbase users will pretty soon, uh, I think that a lot of people are going to appreciate the tech and the, the human
3: readability of these wallet addresses a lot more. Yana, um, you're familiar with ENS, right? Uh, I've definitely looked into it a little bit because I know you are very bullish on ENS domains. I've been thinking about picking up a couple for myself. Uh, I'm going to have to figure out which ones would be worth really kind of picking up or creating for my own self, but I definitely need a couple in my wallet for sure. I definitely Start need with some. your name. It's a good one.
2: Then your nickname, then your buddy's name.
3: <laughs> that's true. Just pick up, pick up ENS domains for the boys.
2: <laughs> <laughs> then you sell it to them
3: at a high price. They're not in. The, they're not into Web three yet. So I think I'm ahead of the game there, and definitely could flip them to them in a few years. Got to make them pay for being late. Have to. Have to. But Yanni, what
2: else did you see at NFT NYC that excited you? Ooh, that's a good
3: question. That's a really good question. Um. One thing that I was really excited to see were a few uh, rebrands, right? So you see a lot of these Web 2 companies, older game studios kind of getting into the space. One that I saw that I wasn't really aware of beforehand was uh, Neopets. I don't know if you used to play Neopets back in the day, Logan. Mm -mm, No, I was born in 2000. That was before my time. Oh, come on. I'm a 2000s baby too, but I know what it was. Nonetheless, uh, they came out with their... With their NFT and their game, their uh, Web3 game that they're trying to execute, and that's going to be on the Solana blockchain as of now, uh, it's kind of a s- slow startup, I believe, for them. But at the same time, I think it'll really, really appeal to the masses That, in a way that we haven't seen yet in relation to diversification. I think Neopets is very well positioned right now at least to be able to build in the bear market and further their project and see how that goes later.
2: What do you think it's going to take for NFTs, smart contracts, blockchain technology to really you know, reach the masses?
3: Simplification. Certainly simplification because for myself and for yourself as well, we kind of grew up with the internet, right? So that bridge from web two to web three isn't as challenging as it might be for someone in an older cohort, right? Or even like a younger generation. I don't see why we don't get like everybody onto it. It's just a matter of educating and accessibility. To be able to make a MetaMask, figure out what a wallet is, figure out what crypto to buy on which brokerage. It takes a lot of research and a lot of time for someone to just start off from scratch. So if you don't have that education, if you don't have that understanding, it's going to be difficult. So I would say simplification would be a great onboarder for Web3.
2: Interesting. So do you think that everybody will have a crypto wallet one day or will the crypto wallet be something that uh, only the old
3: heads talk about? Well, like, back in my day, I had back to write my down day. my own private key. Uh, back in my day. Well, honestly, I guess I would equate it similarly to perhaps a debit or a credit card, right? Maybe 15, 20 years ago, you go to a restaurant, everybody was paying cash. Nowadays, it's all credit card. It's all debit card. So if we kind of create that accessibility in relation to businesses to be able to use and accept crypto on a mass scale, then I could definitely see everybody with a, with a crypto wallet for sure. For sure. But I don't think we're necessarily there yet. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there
2: we will see. Something else I wanted to talk about uh, today, Yanni, is a little bit more of a fundamental look from our friends at Glassnode. If you haven't heard of Glassnode, they do on-chain analytics, on-chain data, and they provide a ton of great resources. So basically what I want to do, Yanni, is I want to get into this introduction to Bitcoin supply dynamics, on-chain analysis 101. I'm going to throw this video up. You're going to want to toss those headphones on, on the table, um, and we'll we'll just get right into it. But I want you to stop if you have any questions, uh, so we can we can break down these basics of Bitcoin supply uh, and on-chain analysis together. So let me share uh, this tab real quick, and we'll get into it. All right, here we go. Here we go. Wait, one last thing before we get into this. We do have an interview coming up in 10 minutes uh, with a team working on stable coins and privacy technology in the Cosmos ecosystem. So make sure you stay tuned for that. All right, let's get it.
4: Hello, everyone, and welcome to your Glassdoor on Chain 101, where this week we're focusing on a very important topic, which is an introduction to Bitcoin supply dynamics. Now this concept of supply dynamics is actually one of these big-picture concepts that underpins a great deal of on-chain analytics. What we're trying to do is assess the macro flow of funds, holding times across the network, whereabouts the supply is held, and really diving into all levels of granularity on what is going on with supply and demand. Now as I mentioned, on-chain analysis really helps us observe the holding patterns, the spending patterns, the flows of funds, we can watch coins as they move throughout the network and see as they move between different entities. They come into the miners through issuance, they're then transferred to exchanges and they move around the system between investors, different entities, financial institutions and the like. So what we're really gonna do in this session is start very, very simple. This is very much an introductory course and we're gonna be looking at the circulating supply, issuance and inflation, starting very, very simple. Where do these coins come from and what does it mean? We're then gonna start to assess things like economic metrics, inflation rates, stock to flow. We'll look at holding patterns, what's going on in terms of uh, investors who've held their coins for one year and those who've held them for less than one year, what the cyclicality of that means. And then we're gonna introduce at the very end a net position change metric. This is a concept that you'll see in a number of tools. And there is a sister video to this which looks at how we actually build this in Workbench. So I will point you to that later on and you'll find it in the description below. But for now, let's get started. So as I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to start with a fairly simple concept and really give you a bit, of a, a bit of an insight into what supply dynamics is all about. Now, one of the really important components that we have to build in and we can use within the supply dynamics is the concept of time. Now, every coin in the system is contained within a UTXO or an unspent transaction output. Think about it like a container. The nearest equivalent is like a $50 bill. That $50 bill contains $50 worth of value. So a UTXO contains a certain amount of BTC value, and we can actually tell which block it was last moved in. So we can see the transaction output, we can see where that coin was last mined on the blockchain. And if we then look at the timestamp between when it was mined into a block and the current period, we can assess the holding time. So what we can see here is the circulating supply in orange. This is obviously the total supply cap, and you can see these halving events where it kinks, and then we start to trend up towards that 21 million hard cap, which will happen somewhere in the era of year uh, 2140, so uh, some time left to go. Now, bringing that concept of time into the mix, this red curve here maps out the proportion of that supply in BTC that is older than one year. So coins that have not moved for over one year. Now there's going to be Satoshi's coins down here in this early phase. We can also see that as we start to move to the 2013-14-15 cycle, this is where Bitcoin markets were starting to develop very, very early. But we can see that we start to move into this more cyclical behavior. we got these peaks in these older coins. And then as we move into the 2016-17 bull, we have a major decline. We see that we get this spending behavior. The population of coins that are older than one year starts to decline, and these are when people are actually spending them and taking profits in the bull. As we move into the 2018 bear market, you can see that this actually starts to reverse again. We get this uptrend in these older coins. Now, what's going on here is we're seeing a transition of wealth. People are actually buying and sticking those coins away in colder storage for the long term. We're seeing a growing amount of coins coming out of circulation, going into wallets, where they're remaining in a dormant state. Now, where are these coins coming from? Well, if we look at circulating supply and we subtract the coins that are older than one year in red, then we're left with the opposite, which is the coins that are younger than one year, and we see this in blue. And you can see how these two essentially oscillate inverse to each other by design. So when we're getting these periods, take the 2015 late stage bear market, note how late in the bear we see this massive explosion in these coins on older than one year. These are people who've bought all the way down kept them in their wallet, and those coins are now starting to mature. And note here how the coins younger than one year start to really decline. And they eventually, this is essentially where those coins are coming from. Long-term investors, people with a very long time horizon who believe in what Bitcoin really is, they are accumulating coins, taking them off the market. And that means that there are less coins that are mobile and active and actively traded. And this eventually creates somewhat of a supply squeeze. We combine this with the halving event that happens in the circulating supply. So miners stop stop issuing as much coins into the market. And we start to get this cyclical behavior where young coins explode during the bull. This is the maximum number of brand new people. They've heard about Bitcoin from their friend. They heard about it on the TV. They come in and historically speaking, they tend... So Yanni, you
2: following these charts here? Yes. So we have this red line here. Supply last active over a year ago, this blue line supply last active under a year ago. So what this blue line basically is the new people in the crypto market. that come in during the bull runs and they leave during the bear markets. So now we see them leaving. We know we're in a bear market. We saw them here, but we also see that this gap is widening. Right. We had this bull run and the 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 new holders under a year never crossed the total supply of the old holders. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's to come, or maybe it will never happen
3: again. What do you think? It's interesting to see in the fact that you do see that uh, the cycles of it happening and occurring, right? It's not too far-fetched to maybe one day see the red and the blue cross over again. Uh, But it will definitely become more difficult because the idea that the long-term holders slash investors, right, what they do during the bear market is they don't just hold it, they accumulate more. Mm -hmm. And if you're a newer investor under the year and you're selling those tokens while the long-term investors are picking them up, we'll see. I, I think it's possible, but I would say unrealistic just because at least right now, just the mass accumulation that the long-term investors are are uh, taking on.
2: Yeah, Yanni, I agree with you on that one. Uh, and I see we just had our first guest join today. We're going to be interviewing the team behind the Shade Protocol in just a few minutes uh, at two thirty Eastern Time, so four minutes from now. Um, but Yanni, I want to get some closing thoughts from you on the crypto market. What's what's your big sentiment? What's your encouragement? Uh, If there's any, where are we headed from here?
3: If you have the money to spend, to invest, get into it. To lose? To lose. If you have the money to lose, get into it. But at the same time, understand that I think right now we've seen the cyclical nature of crypto dropping, tanking a good 70, 80, 90% and then reaching an all-time high in the future. I don't think that that all-time high is anywhere near where we are right now. It's definitely going to be a few years out. But now is better than tomorrow.
2: I'm not sure what that last part meant, but thank you for the (laughs) words of wisdom. Now is always better than tomorrow when it comes to learning. Uh, when it comes to educating yourself mm-hmm. and when it comes to smashing the fricking like button. So make sure you hit that uh, Yanni. Thank you so much for stopping by moon or bus today. I will relieve you uh, of, of your duties here on the show. We pulled you in. Go, go get back to work.
3: I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Have a good one.
2: Smash the like for Yanni, everyone. Uh, Aiden Pearson in the chat. Who's this new guy? Not sure. Just walked up here. Um, all right. Our guest just disappeared. All right, I'm going to wait a few minutes um, and we'll see what happens with that. In the meantime, let's hop back over to this Bitcoin chart. I don't think we took a look at it yet today, um, but that's definitely something we can do in the meantime. So here we have... Oh, where to it go? All right, I'm going to zoom out just a little bit. Let's get some weekly candles and we'll take it out. See, we're well below the range we were following back in the day. Haven't looked at this chart in a very long time because it is painful. Um, but this is where we are sitting right now. We saw the volume breakout on Binance over the weekend that sent Bitcoin over 22,000 just briefly. Um, I'm going to the hourly candles now so we can see where that happened uh, right around here. Uh, and, you know, we, oh, yeah, this, these these ones crazy even some more crazy volume over here um, but since then we've been correcting uh it's it's really not easy to say whether this is capitulation i mean usually we we want to see a big volume spike to mark the bottom um, but who's to say if this is the one or not uh not me that's for sure but i see we have our guests back from shade protocol so without further ado i would like to welcome carter to the stream carter how are you doing today
5: Doing good. Thanks for having having me on, Logan. The uh, crypto markets are a little cold, but the the builders are still pushing through regardless.
2: Yes, bears are for builders, as they say. Um, Carter, I'd love to hear about you know your personal background. How did you get into Web three?
5: Sure. So I've been in the space since uh, 2017. I actually spent. Uh, three, four years writing a book. So I'm a published author. Just traditional finance and software background, fascinated by this space, uh, specific, specifically stable coins and the opportunity that transparent DeFi could bring to the game. Eventually figured out that for institutions, asymmetry of information is super important, needs to be defensible. Started falling down the rabbit hole of where is privacy in the world of DeFi? Uh, what's the value of it? What is, what is it going to take to Um, have something that's consumer friendly, institutional friendly on the privacy side um, that also works with regulators. So that's been my five years of deep research. I also worked on uh, Secret Network, author of uh, the white paper on that. And uh, yeah, just love all things DeFi.
2: That is quite the laundry list of tasks. You must have been very busy lately. I want to start off with uh, a term you mentioned at the beginning is transparent DeFi. What does that mean
5: to you? So transparent DeFi is essentially the fact that anyone can query like 98, 99 percent of blockchains and just grab data from it. Um, And then they can they can act on this data. Right. Uh, The best example I like to use is a product like MakerDAO. The whole everyone's different liquidation price points are completely publicly visible. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you have that type of setup, you can have. Uh, different large players try to influence the market to try to hit these publicly visible liquidation price points i think celsius was probably the most obvious one we've heard about recently where everyone knew Mm -hmm. was watching that slowly get um unwinded and you know there's there's advantages to totally transparent DeFi. there's also disadvantages to totally transparent DeFi. and it seems like we need granularity for for the really large institutions to come into the game like does does a pension fund if they're going to have like any sort of leverage which they probably would never do that but like I don't think they want that information to be public, right? So it's, it's an interesting uh, tension that blockchain has brought to the table. I think transparency um, is somewhat of a bug, um, and I, I think we need granularity.
2: Very interesting. So if this is a bug uh, and and you desire more privacy for certain applications, uh, I I believe this is where Shade comes in, a suite of privacy-focused DeFi applications. So from a very high level, what problems, uh, more specifically, did you set out to solve with Shade?
5: 100%. I mean, the the dream is, can you build, essentially, you need privacy-preserving smart contracts. You need your builders to be able to decide what metadata is and isn't encrypted on chain. It's not to say we need everything encrypted, it's just we need components of applications, just like in web two, not to be publicly visible to everyone. Like if I'm using Uber, I don't need everyone in the world to know my location, I just need like the service to know my location. And in a similar Mm -hmm. sense, these different financial applications are situations where you don't need everyone to know, um, like your different interactions with, with the application. And so, that's ultimately what Shape Protocol is. We're building a privacy-preserving lending product. We have a DEX on the way. We have a stablecoin on the way. A lot of different products are being launched in the fall. We've already launched staking derivatives, and we actually have a bonds product. Well, um, bonds, similar to Olympus DAO. That terms, it's, it's a little bit like, it's not actually like real-world bonds, but it seems to be a very easy term that people are attached to, and we have, we have bonds launching in July. So can we launch a whole cohesive ecosystem of privacy-preserving DeFi products and have all the value accrual? I'll go back to the protocol and to the different token holders is kind of the dream.
2: So a lot of people used to think that, you know, Bitcoin was just used for money laundering and in the dark web and that it's for scammers. But in reality, it's completely public and that's a terrible idea. Um, so what does shade add on top of, uh, you know, a traditional blockchain that, uh, you know, gives developers the flexibility, but not the restriction?
5: Sure. 100%. So the underlying technology is that every single node on the network is running uh, something called trusted execution environments. You can consider it uh, essentially like a black box where the applications themselves are able to decrypt um, and essentially compute across the information that comes in there. And then they're able to update the state of the blockchain and then give an output. And because all the different nodes on the network that we're building on has this encryption, developers are able to design their programs to interact with these trusted execution environments. Uh, Rust is the the language of choice, not unfortunately not Solidity. Maybe maybe one day the, the bridge will, will be made where Solidity can be used on this type of network. And um, yeah, it just it allows so much it allows so much granularity and it's it's more than just DeFi too. Picture like any key macro vertical, and there's gonna be a situation where you don't want that data completely publicly visible um, for your consumers and for your institutions. The example I always like to give is like right now with like stable coins, right? Like let's say I had um, you know, a bunch, let's say I have a hundred million die in a wallet and I go up to a hot dog stand and I want to like mm-hmm. purchase it. Right. Sure. Um, that vendor, if they're smart enough and they had things set up, could, they could check my wallet. Right. Like that, that's right. insane. Like they can know that you're sitting at like a hundred million and that's like a, a very real security risk. Um, so it's like the simple dream of like, I, the reason I don't think the privacy narrative has fully taken off in blockchain is because realistically blockchain actually hasn't bridged back to our everyday lives yet. And once mm. that jump is made, then the value of privacy will become very clear on the regulatory front and the institutional front. So I think it just takes time. Privacy is kind of one of those long tail uh, value accrual and value accru- creation mechanisms. Um, and I, I think it's, it's interesting to find the projects that see that long-term vision in a space that is just like so focused on the next three months, the next six months, or this year's narrative. But what's the decade-long, you know, narratives that that were that people are should be looking at? And I think asymmetry of information and the protection of it um, is has to be up there.
2: So there are other privacy-focused technologies uh, out there. Why shade?
5: Yeah, why shade protocol specifically is actually the performance component of it. Um, if you know about like fully homomorphic encryption um, and the different, some of the different privacy specs that are emerging, all of them really, really struggle um, with scalability. And so if you think of like Solana's narrative of like, what if we have, you know, a bunch of just like amazing nodes, like how how much can we push performance within the context of decentralization? And think of Shade Protocol building on top of Secret Network as kind of like a similar concept of like, what if we had this amazing base layer um, hardware tech stack that was super, super performant and gave us privacy? Um, what does that unlock? And so I, I think that's our, our greatest advantage is the, the performance side of things in terms of transactions and throughput over the long haul versus other privacy, privacy solutions.
2: If you could speak to the Cosmos blockchain, why this ecosystem?
5: Oh man, Cosmos is great. I, I think it comes down to uh, two different components. I think the first component is interoperability. Uh, like the multi-chain narrative, you know, two years ago hadn't really emerged yet, but now it's just becoming very, very apparent um, mm-hmm. that all these different layer twos that exist, all these different standalone blockchain ecosystems, there needs there needs to be a universal language by which apps can talk to each other and blockchains can, can by extension, like obviously, are talking to each other. And I think Cosmos was kind of the first to spearhead that vision of horizontal scalability. Uh, via having a, a unifying uh, communication protocol. And so Cosmos has an ecosystem of blockchains. When you build on top of that ecosystem, by extension, you're getting access to all these different communities and all these different products because you can code a smart contract you go talk with someone else's smart contract. You can move assets from chain A to chain B to chain C like seamlessly because everyone's using the same. It's called the interblockchain communication protocol. That's the Cosmos standard that every blockchain that gets spun up in that ecosystem kind of inherits and it's, it's extremely convenient. Right. So that's interoperability as kind of narrative number one. Um, narrative number two is kind of has to do with communities and sovereignty. So if you're if you're building on top of Ethereum right now, and let's say you're a massive app like Uniswap or MakerDAO you can't mm-hmm. really configure the underlying blockchain to be optimized to your specific use case. Now, mm-hmm. what are the advantages? Well, you're sitting on like an extremely secure tech stack. What do you lose? You kind of lose the sovereignty and the ability to be, like make an, a layer one specifically devoted to optimizing your, your user experience and your apps, kind of like tokenomics. And so yep. Cosmos, everyone's spinning up these different blockchains that are focused on specific use cases. Our, ours is obviously privacy applications. Others, um, are focused on, you know, data storage, like Akash. Um, and there's there's lots of, and like osmosis, as, as purely as a DEX and a layer one. And so I think this uh, interoperability and sovereignty for these blockchains attract a certain type of community that are really on the front end of the adoption curve. These are really people that are thinking about, like I said before, kind of the five to 10 year vision. And, you know, some people think vertical scalability and rollups is the way to do it. Um, I think horizontal scalability, if you look at like the history of the Internet, is the way to go. And I think I think Cosmos has understood that vision far before other people have. And it's, it's fun to be part of that community.
2: There's certainly a big discussion to dive into there when it comes to horizontal versus vertical scalability. Um, maybe let's get into that after uh, we talk a little bit more about Shade. So I want to hear about the Stablecoin, all the other applications you have. And I'm going to f- full screen you. Just go for it
5: sure yeah so we'll start with the flagship product silk so right now in the world of stable coins um, the majority of them like if not all of them that you know about like frax and Dai, previously uh, ust all of these have been pegged to the us dollar and one thing that's you know unique in the world of crypto and blockchain is we really have an opportunity to, to design futuristic currencies and so it always has felt odd to me that we say, hey, like we have these decentralized stable coins, but they're pegged to a very centralized underlying monetary system. And so that was like the first when we when we sat down and wanted to design a stable coin. It was like, how can we truly push the envelope of stability? Right. And so the answer was, is you have a stable coin that's pegged to a basket of global currencies and commodities. That's what silk is, it can consist in a, of an array of currencies. And there was a crazy amount of research that was done. And the net result is instead of holding a U.S. dollar stablecoin and slowly being inflated away, um, which is a significant effect, by the way, right? Like in DeFi, people are like, oh, I'm getting like 15% yield right now. It's like, yeah, but what about that 10% inflation you're incurring, right? And so I was like, can we build a stablecoin that's a natural hedge against global volatility um, and inflation? There's also commodities included in the basket, so that's that's like feature prop number one of Silk. It's not pegged to the dollar. Um, nominally, it's targeting a dollar and five cents out of the gate, but the actual composition um, of different currencies and commodities will shift that peg up and down over time in relation to whatever sovereign currency you exist within, whether it be the euro or the dollar, right? or whatever other right. currency you use. I'm going to jump so, on for
2: 1 second. One quick question cuz I know there's a lot of people out there who are familiar with stable coins. They've heard just terrible narratives about them. So, maybe we could break down uh, the difference between like an algorithmic stable coin uh, versus something that's backed centrally.
5: Sure, you're breaking up on, on me. Am I am I breaking up on you right now?
2: Uh, no, it oh, seems Sorry, fine. I think you're breaking
5: up on me. Were you talking about like the difference in uh, centralized yeah, stable yeah. coins so, versus, like decentralized stable coins.
2: Yeah, for the audience who might not get the nuance of it, where sure. does shade fit into the spectrum?
5: 100%. So, you can hear me fine. I know you're kind of lagging a little bit for me to hear me. So, centralized stable coins, I guess the, the beauty of a centralized stable coin has to do with the redemption mechanism. Let's say I have, you know, USDC, there's a counterparty, a centralized entity in the world, like a bank, that says, hey, if you give me 10 USDC, I'll give you 10 like U.S. greenbacks back to you, right? Now, decentralized stablecoins have a slightly slightly different promise. Um, the promise of a, like a decentralized stablecoin, you can go and sell that stablecoin for a corresponding promise value. So like DAI is saying, hey, you have 10 DAI, you're able to go on a decentralized exchange or a centralized exchange and, and, and sell it for roughly... One dollar, right? I mean, yeah, you, you have slips into the equation. So that's that's kind of that's kind of the trade-off. Like centralized entities, they have like redemption mechanism, which feels really good for everyone. That's what gives them their stability. By that same token, you're trusting that counterparty to have the solvency to kind of like handle all of the supply at large. Versus decentralized stablecoins, the, the the way they keep um, their target peg, well, there's there's a couple of mechanisms. That's the promise they're ultimately giving is that you can go and sell it somewhere for a dollar. Some of them have redemption mechanisms too, like FRAX. You can go and redeem FRAX for a con- course of USDC, which can then be used to redeem for actual like greenbacks via that redemption process. So there's different there's, there's different stablecoins. They have different redemption minting mechanisms, um, and those different redemption minting mechanisms determine um, their, their various risks. So, Silk in particular, like I said, Basket Global Currencies and Commodities, also uses the over-collateralized over, over collateralized model that MakerDAO has made super popular. We're also experimenting and heading in the direction of Frax, which Frax, as the name kind of implies, has a degree of fractionalized backing. They've done it in a very safe way, and we've definitely been inspired by them. But Silk launching in the fall, starting with kind of the safe and, safe and totally proven method of um, kind of that, the lending model, which has, a, which has a cap, right? Lending models have a cap on how much those stable coins can really grow into perpetuity. And so if you haven't heard of Frax before as a project on Ethereum and you're familiar with that ecosystem, uh, definitely go check them out. They're, they're doing really great work. So that speaks on two components, what it is, right? What it's composed of, how it maintains its peg, it's the traditional model. And then the next feature, of course, is privacy, because we ultimately believe that the stable coin of the future has to be able to bridge back to consumers' everyday lives. And in order to do that, there has to be a degree of on-chain privacy. And actually, like regulators will expect that. Like when you go to the store and you buy something, the person at the front desk isn't able to figure out how much money you've had, yet alone <laughs> your whole transaction history, right? Like that's that's completely right. unfeasible. We're already we're just trying to bring parity to existing privacy in the world of consumers and Web 2. Um, and Silk Silk will have that by by extension of the of the tech stack. So. I'll, pa- I'll pause there if you have any questions, Logan. Thanks for letting me kind of rant there there for a bit.
2: No, that, that was a great overview. Um, if the chat has any questions, please, please drop them uh, in the chat for Carter and we can get to them. Uh, but what I wanted to turn to next is, is the regulation that, that you kind of just segued us into. Um, as you said, there is a lot of privacy in the typical traditional markets that we are completely missing out on crypto right now. Um, and, and you mentioned previously that it's going to have to tie back into normal life. It's going to be one of these uh, you know, long tail things. It's a five to 10 year vision. Um, but regulation is coming very, very quickly. Uh, and I don't know if you have any insights on how this might play out. What do you think is going to be top priority for the regulators right now?
5: Yeah, so I think it's interesting because as someone who went to consensus, listened to like conversation after conversation after conversation on like the regulatory side, privacy is the word solves so many of the existing problems, but it wasn't the word that used, traditionally used, right? Um, so it, we're we're still we're still ahead of the, ahead of the curve here. I don't think privacy has taken front and center because right now when regulators think of consumer protections think in terms of thinking about in terms of like mitigating um, the risk of people like doomers do they have enough information mm-hmm. on depth of liquidity and the risks that are that are entailed in defi so i just, I just want to kind of preface it by saying we're still we're yep. still early on this front but, but
2: Carter i think we might have lost you for a second uh I'm going to wait till you get back, but we you cut out when you said, uh, you know, we're still early on the privacy front. Um, i give it a few seconds to try to catch back up. All right. It looks like he hopped out of the room. So uh, cue the Jeopardy music while we wait for Carter to rejoin. Hey, there he is. Um, all right. Carter he dropped off we dropped off Welcome there back. a
5: little bit. So
2: No problem. So where where you dropped off was you said we're still early on this front of, of privacy when it comes to regulation. Right now the regulators are looking at, you know, how do we inform the investors to make appropriate investment decisions?
5: Yes. And so I I, th- I think that like 20 2022 is really like the year of definitions on the regulatory side. We haven't even got to like full-blown frameworks. So I think, mm-hmm. like, end of 2022, we're going to have better definitions about stable coins and the different types of stable coins and, like, privacy and the different degrees of pri- privacy. I think all of those things still need to be extrapolated out um, because mm-hmm. even even within, like, the context of privacy, like, something that Shape Protocol has with Secret Network is something called viewing keys, where users have the ability to decrypt their own transactions or hand off that viewing key to an uh, to an auditor, and they can go and check the smart contract data. Like, there's there's like a very regulatory friendly way to go about privacy. But right now with regulators, because they haven't even necessarily taken the time to sit down with the privacy topic topic, it's just kind of this single term privacy when really they need to be informed up about the granularity of it. There are some uh, protocols like Monero that are like kind of meant to be black boxes that aren't, aren't going to be regulatory friendly. So mm-hmm. I guess, I guess in summary, we're still early on, early on that narrative. There needs to be a discussion extrapolated out about the granularity of privacy. 2022 is the year of definitions. 2023 is the year of frameworks. And I think 2024 is the year of like implementation. And 2024, I think is the year where projects that want to be focused on compliance will start to differentiate and start to take off because all the institutions and capital that's on the sidelines that can't enter in until they know that there's like a a really clear path to compliance. And I think there will be at least one or two privacy chains that will be like Ethereum but with privacy that see a massive amount of adoption. That's what I would be on the lookout for. Who can who can do what Ethereum's doing um, faster, cheaper, with really good security while also having privacy that has auditability and, and compliance rails? That isn't that is that is late game. That is like that's what you want in a blockchain at, at the end of the day. And of course trade-offs to all these things but that's that's what i think would be phenomenal and that's that's what shape protocol wants to build on and that's what we're, we're headed towards
2: would you see this as a solution to the infamous blockchain
5: trilemma Ooh, i mean so try the, the reason they're called trilemmas is because you can't get around them right <laughs> it's <laughs> like the more decentralized you are the worse performance it perform the, the less performant you could be i guess when i talk about end game
2: Carter, we lost you again.
5: Man, we are we are struggling on the connection side to say ap- apologies to everyone to everyone watching um but when i when we talk about trilemmas, you can't really get around them because of like just fundamental properties of computer science the more decentralized you are you know the more packets that have to be sent out the further the distance yada 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 mm-hmm. but when i talk about like end game or late game for a blockchain it's more like what set of attributes are absolutely necessary to onboard Billions of users. I, I think that's the way I think about it. And so it needs to be some mixture of decentralization with the world of. Not uh, to handle attributes. Oh, man. It's
2: coming out a connection. little bit. Um, all right. I think I, I know. It
5: keeps breaking up. Oh, Let's dive
2: into geez. zero knowledge proofs. Uh, and maybe if this lends itself to the horizontal versus vertical scaling discussion, um, we can get into that as well. But do you see zero knowledge proofs as a way to you know shrink the packets to be small enough that we could have decentralization uh, and scalability?
5: I, I mean, I, th- I think zero knowledge proofs is like, is like a, it's a path and it's, it's like could be a promising one. I, I do think like the research has a long ways to go. Um, it, I think maybe it's understated how, how much further we, we have to go. Um, but I, th- I think like for the sake of everyone, we need everyone should be researching vertical scalability while we build out horizontal scalability. But I, th- I think you need horizontal scalability first where it's different blockchains can all talk to each other. And then from there, you solve kind of the performance problem with, with the vertical scalability component. I think to say like we have to put all our chips on the vertical scalability basket, of research isn't isn't the way to do it and so I'm glad that there's certain ecosystems like Cosmos that kind of had a different theory about what it takes to kickstart you know that next next stage of growth and performance for for blockchains.
2: So we talked a little bit about this earlier but application specific blockchains are a huge Uh, a differentiating factor that makes Cosmos interesting. So basically what you can do is launch your own blockchain that is specific to your application that makes it much more efficient uh, and use less gas, right?
5: Yes, correct. A great example is like Osmosis as a DEX uh, is able to have no gas fees for certain transactions, which means for an everyday user, they can hop on the decentralized exchange start making trades without ever needing the native token. That's something you can never do on Ethereum, right? Like, oh, like Uniswap wants it so that your first trade, you don't have any gas, right? But because Osmosis is its own blockchain, can define its own rules with its validator set, you're able to like make a much better and optimized user experience, uh, which is like, it's fascinating, it's fascinating to see what that unlocks.
2: And so what goes into creating one of these app chains? Has Does Shade have their own app chain or multiple of them?
5: So currently, we're a core contributor to Secret Network. Is the layer one that we build on top of, okay. and specifically, the reason Secret Network is because the only place with privacy-preserving smart contracts uh, right now is a layer one. Anywhere that we can find that's up to par with in terms of developer developer frameworks, um, and so we're we're also contributors to to Secret Network and the tools that everyone's using, like Secret Network, Osmosis, Atom, um, is something called the Cosmos Cosmos SDK. Uh, SDK just stands for software development kit. It means as all these developers build out different blockchains because everyone's building with the same set of tools.
2: Carter, we lost you again. Uh, Hopefully, we'll come back. Otherwise, we might have to end the show a few minutes early. We'll give it one more shot. We got a funny comment from Aaron Bryan out there in the chat using Rogers. Not us. We are in America. Uh, But Carter might be. All right. It has. Oh, okay. Carter's back again. Hey.
5: Oh, there we go. Man, we're just we're just in and out today. Brutal.
2: This is uh, web two.
3: <laughs>
5: web two services, please, please be more performant <laughs> for us. Uh, where were we? Uh we were talking. I think I was more just like a synopsis of the Cosmos SDK everyone's building with the, two, the same toolkit which means it's really easy for these blockchains to talk to each other and if you start making weird tweaks to the toolkit suddenly it becomes like a little bit harder to get integrated into the cosmos ecosystem so it's a balance of like experimentation but also cosmos sdk is great though they give you so much flexibility and um, the developer community continues to to grow
2: uh carter before we run out of time here i want to give you uh the the platform to make any shout outs call outs where can people uh connect with you and the shade team to learn more about privacy uh, maybe even do some open source contribution if there's any developers out there um the floor is yours
5: 100 percent. i don't know how much i'm breaking up here but i'll just say uh be sure to check out Shade protocol on twitter always releasing new information about what is to come also check out shapeprotocol.io. That's the official website. You can also follow me on Twitter at L underscore Wetzel. That's w-o-e-t-z-e-l. And I would just invite you guys to come join join the community, see the products that are being built out, and we'd love to have you um, learn more about all the research that's being done. We're, su- we're super excited to share with the world of blockchain all the all the excellent products that are in the works. So, and thanks thanks for having me on, Logan. Really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much for your time today, Carter. I dropped those links in the description uh, for the audience to go check them out right below that like button. Uh, But Carter, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for coming on and telling us about Shade. All right, Zinger Nation. Hope you you enjoyed that interview today. I know I did. I think that the privacy space of blockchain has a lot of room to grow. Uh, And as Carter mentioned a few times, it's very early in the narrative. So make sure you go check out Shade. Uh, And also, if you don't have an exchange account for your crypto trading, make sure you head over to FTX.us if you are in the US. Uh, They are the, the very, very kind sponsor of the crypto shows here at Benzinga. So if you're looking for a new account, Uh, ftx.us is the way to go. Uh, all right. Two minutes left. We're going to end it up a little bit early today. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Moon or Bust, your home for all things crypto at Benzinga. Make sure you follow uh, myself. My Twitter is right over there uh, at L-O-G-A-N-N-R-O-S-S. Make sure to connect with me there to stay tuned to all future Benzinga crypto episodes. Uh, But with that out of the way, hope you enjoy the rest of your Monday. Peace and
0: love, Zinger Nation. I'm out.